0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the early 2000s, when I was in college, there was a popular Christian song. as one that was often being sung in our campus ministry and it had the refrain. It was just repeated over and over and over again. I found Jesus. Anybody remember this song? Anybody? No. Okay. I found Jesus. I can still hear my roommate Adam singing it in the morning before I was ready to get up. I found Jesus. He'd say it over and over and over again. Around that same time, there was also a bumper sticker that you'd start to see, kind of in response by sarcastic wags. that would say, I found Jesus. He was hiding in the couch all along. Yeah. I found Jesus. I was thinking of that when we come to this morning's gospel reading. Because we're told at the beginning that Jesus went and he found Philip. He went seeking for Philip and found him. Next thing you know, Philip goes and he finds his friend Nathanael and he says to Nathanael, Nathanael, we have found Jesus, the one that all the scriptures talked about. We found him. You think, huh, that's interesting. So, which is it? Did Jesus find Philip or did Philip find Jesus? And more broadly speaking, When it comes to all people, do we find the Lord? Do we go searching for him, or does he search for us? Does he find us? Who finds whom? Hmm. It's a question I want us to think about this morning. Let's think of it from that first perspective, that Jesus finds you. You remember what the programmatic statement is of our Lord about his ministry. He says, the Son of Man came in order to seek and to save the lost. Remember that? He comes in order to seek. He is the good shepherd. He comes seeking and and searching after us. He goes looking for his lost sheep in order to find them. He says flatly to his disciples later on, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You didn't go looking for me. Whether he's correcting Philip here or not, we can't say for sure, but he wants to make clear, you didn't choose me, you didn't seek me, you didn't search for me, I sought out you. I went to to find you. This is a recurring theme through the scriptures, and it goes down even more deeply into the heart of man when we think about what is human nature really like. And the scriptures make clear that sinful human nature left to its own devices doesn't go looking for God. Doesn't seek after God. For many of us this past week, we read through uh, some of the chapters of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 6, right before the flood, there's this verse that states so baldly. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Pretty bleak. These are not the sort of people who go looking for the Lord. They are those whose hearts are crooked and broken and estranged from God. And unless you think that, well, after the flood, then things got better. No, it makes very clear that, no, it's still bad, perhaps even worse. And it's an open question whether it's any better today. I tend to doubt it. Scriptures make clear over and over again, as Paul sums up in Romans 3, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. It was popular in the 90s and early 2000s to have these seeker services. That was the the name for it. And I, I get it, I understand it, but there's something kind of misleading even about the term. Because ultimately, nobody is seeking for God. He takes the initiative. He goes to find you and me and to bring us back to the Father. That's his purpose. That's his aim. He takes that initiative. The fancy theological term for it is divine monergism. You don't need to know this for the test. Except for you, Matt. Uh, For the rest of us, you don't. That God, his one-handed, single-handed work, looking for us, finding us, seeking us out, and bringing us back to himself. And even apart from our Our sinful human nature. It's apparent in the simple fact of how far God had to come in order to reclaim us. It's simply not the case that humanity just needed a little bit of a hand up, that we were doing pretty good, and Jesus came and said, here you go, guys. Let me show you how to be just a little bit better. No, nothing could be further from the truth. It's even hinted at in our gospel reading. As Jesus says to Nathanael, listen, you're impressed with this, Nathaniel. I tell you, greater things will you see. You will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, a little bit later in Genesis, we haven't gotten to these readings yet with our Dwell Richly readings, but in Genesis 28, there's the story of Jacob. And Jacob gets this vision of this ladder up to heaven. And he sees the, the angels of God ascending and descending, that ladder that connects heaven and earth. Jesus, in alluding to and echoing that story of Jacob, he's saying, listen, I'm the ladder. I'm the bridge. I'm the one who has come down from heaven down to earth. The angels of God are ascending and descending on me. What he's saying, in effect, is I'm the one who goes looking for you. I am the bridge. And apart from me, there's no connector between heaven and earth. A Christian poet by the name of Lucy Shaw has a lovely little poem in which she says, You did the unthinkable, Lord. You made one bridge long enough, strong enough to link the unlinkable. That's what our Lord Jesus has done. He has linked the unlinkable. He has joined heaven and earth, and He has sought you and me out. He is the one who does the finding. Okay, then, so is Philip when he says that we have found the Lord. Is he just patently deluded? Is he just so off base? Is his theology so mistaken that he's going to need to be chastised? Well, certainly for many Lutherans, we would say, yeah, that's exactly right. I know there was a, a time in my whole life when I was in what uh, my wife would call my Lutheran cage stage. That's where you need to keep me in a cage because I just had to tell everybody about Lutheran theology. I'm still that way, but I'm more subtle about it. So. <laughs> but I would talk with my friends in college who would be singing songs like I found Jesus. I'd be like, no, you don't. No, you didn't. He finds you. Why are you singing and saying stuff like that? You didn't accept Jesus into your heart. He stormed your heart. He came for you when you weren't looking for him. He found, I was a lot of fun to have at parties at that point, basically. (laughs) Be that as it may, I think that we can step back and look at from a human perspective, there is something to be said for the struggle for the journey, for the search. I mean, Philip, in all those years, he'd been studying and reading the scriptures as so many pious, faithful Jews had, awaiting and expecting the coming of the Messiah. He's, he's not misleading or misled when he says, yeah, we have been reading in the writings of Moses, we've been looking for this one, been searching him. It's understandable for him to say, now it's like we found him. We have come upon that Messiah that we were looking for for, for so long. I think of that lovely Old Testament story we read of Samuel, where Samuel has this process where he is he's seeking the Lord, although he doesn't fully know it, does he? Poor Eli. Eli's sleeping in the other room, and Samuel hears the call. Samuel, Samuel! And he runs in real eager to go see Eli, and Eli's like, go back to bed, you're hearing things, right? Three times, over and over, and then finally Eli realizes, oh, wait a second, maybe it's God calling This is the way it is with us humans sometimes. We need to hear the call a few times before we we finally get it. But I think that process for Samuel had to be part of it. That searching, that struggling, that that wrestling, even for Eli himself, before he could come upon and realize that the voice that he was hearing was the voice of the Lord. As Lutherans, it's natural for us to poo-poo because we want to to, um, protect Sola gratia, saved by grace alone. It's God's initiative alone that brings us, and it's good and right for us to emphasize that. But we can also recognize that from a human vantage point, there is a struggle. There is that that time of searching and seeking and wondering, where is God? Where is he in all of this? I think that we can do justice to both of those things, recognizing that God ultimately is the one who takes the initiative, but that there is something about our human heart that senses, I'm, I'm going on that journey I'm looking for God even if I don't know altogether what I'm looking for. Now, that doesn't mean that we should listen to or abide by more crass versions of what's sometimes called decision theology. And decision theology does just exalt human will and nature and make it all about, yeah, I did find Jesus. You know, I did the work, I put the time in, and through my human will, I accepted him. I think that that too is a a mistaken Uh, appreciation for this journey. Instead, it puts too much emphasis on our human nature. We need to recognize that God ultimately is the one who takes the initiative, and it's his grace from beginning to end. I think Paul kind of hints at this when he says in Galatians 4, this interesting phrase, he says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. It's like he catches himself, and on the one hand, he wants to affirm for the Galatians their own path of searching and struggling and striving to know, but then he has to step back and say, but we all know that ultimately it's not that you know God. It's that God knows you. That he seeks you. And that when you have your eureka moment, I found it! What you find is that you've been found. I love the story. There's so many stories like this through Christian history, conversion stories of people who have been seeking after God only to find all along that God was seeking them. And a writer that I follow, a guy by the name of Paul Kingsnorth, he tells a story like this. Three years ago this month, he was baptized into the Christian faith. But he had to take an incredible journey to get to that point. He was raised in, he's English, British, he was raised in a a secular home, they didn't ever go to church. In fact, he even recounts how one time he snuck into a church and in the old visitor books that churches sometimes have, he wrote in there, oh, Satan was here. Imagine seeing that in your visitor book, right? (laughs) He became an atheist. He was an atheist up into his 20s and 30s. He was very devoted to the environmental movement. He was the kind of guy who would chain himself to a tree. That was was his religion, admittedly. But as he got a little bit older, he had this sense that there's more to life. And so he did start seeking. He started searching, trying to find what's out there. There's got to be more to it. He becomes a Zen Buddhist and spends a few years with Buddhism and finds some things that resonate with him that seem true, but ultimately it's, it's not enough. At that point, his story takes a really strange turn because, because he had that sense of that kind of pagan nature and appreciation for creation. And so he's like, well, maybe I'm a, a Wiccan. And so he becomes a Wiccan priest, becomes a Wiccan priest. But if that weren't curious enough, one day he's about to go into like their Wiccan temple kind of thing to do who knows what. When suddenly he has this feeling that's almost like a possession. Like he's being thrown to the ground, physically restrained from going into that pagan worship place. And later he has a dream. And in his dream, he gets a vision of Jesus who says, your next step is to me. Hmm. Well, that freaks him out. And he wrote afterward, like in the morning, he's a writer, he he writes about it. He said, at that point, I began to feel like I was being hunted. He said, I kept seeing this vision of Jesus, but I didn't believe it or want it to be true. At that same time, People start coming out of the woodwork. Friends he didn't realize who were believers start coming to, to talk to him. He gets unsolicited messages from African, not African you know, uh, princes who are telling him they need his money, but instead like African believers who also said that they had these visions and dreams of him and that he was going to be coming to Christ. And he's like, what is the deal with all of this? Can I get away from this guy or what? But he finally gets to this point. He was actually at a, a, a pageant of one of his kids where suddenly this rush like a tidal wave comes over him. And it was the feeling of divine forgiveness that swept over him and he fell to his knees and wept. And he wrote that he was like C.S. Lewis who said, I could no longer ignore the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. But he concludes... In Orthodox Christianity, I found the answers that I had sought in the one place I never thought to look. There's that side of it, just like there was for Paul King's North, where we do see, true, seek, where we do search, and I don't want to, to totally discount that. From our human perspective, like we, we put the time in, we put the effort, we struggle, we fight, we wrestle, and when you hear others talking that way, you don't have to correct them immediately and say, your theology is all wrong. Well, that's what I'm for. Bring them to me. I'll help them with that. <laughs> no, but what we find at the end of all of searching is that we are found, that you are found by the love that will not let you go. And because you belong to the Savior who went searching for you rather than you searching for him, you can be confident that you'll never be lost again because our good shepherd has claimed you and called you to be his own now and eternally. Amen. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.